transitions are exhausting. So many things change, you end up feeling lost. You can find yourself questioning your relevance and even your worth. Whether you're gaining a new surname or going to a new situation, there are two things I want you to know. First, your roles in life will change, but your purpose is eternal. Second, God has a plan for your life, and the enemy has a plot against that plan. I'm Sherry Fletcher, and this is Your Spiritual Game Plan, the podcast for those in a season of transition, and I'm so glad you're here. Stick around, and let's work on a spiritual game plan together. Today, I will be talking with Emily Baker. Emily lives in Oklahoma, where she and her husband both grew up. They've been married for 25 years and have four children, ranging in age from fifth grade to a senior in college. They have spent most of their years together in ministry in three different states and even in Japan for a year. Emily loves being a wife and mother and considers that her first love. Her passion is also walking with people in understanding their personal stories and God's narrative of redemption. She's in the process of stepping into a calling as a full-time counselor and as a story group facilitator. All right, I am here with Emily and I am just so thankful that you are taking the time to meet with me. How are you today? So good, thanks for having me. I would love it if you would tell us a little bit about yourself, your family and um, your ministry. Yeah, so um, I've been married for about 25 years um, to my high school sweetheart. We have four kiddos, uh, fifth grade, all the way up to senior in college two boys, two girls. So, um, they keep me busy and I would say they're like wife and mother main role right now for sure. But I, I also have several plates spinning that I love, um, kind of high energy. (laughs) I have a business, um, of earrings that I design little EB designs. I teach art one day a week at a Stillwater Christian in our town. And for my daughter goes to school and I'm a fitness instructor, so I really love working with people as they're trying to get onto a healthier path. And then most recently and most passionately, I am doing what I call story work or counseling and and groups and individuals with people's stories. So we've been in ministry for a long time. So that's always played a role in everything I do. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. All right. That's a lot of plate spinning for sure. I know. I, sometimes I can be overwhelming to people. And I was just this morning saying, how do I even sum up who I am to my husband? Like, I don't know who I am. And he's like, well, maybe not so much of your stuff. You can be overwhelming. I'm like, okay, well, all right. So there it was. <laughs> that's a little bit about me. I love it. Well, I have one question that I love to ask everybody. And so looking back on your life, How far back can you look to see the very purpose in who you are today and who you have always been? Well, I have heard that question and I love it. It's a beautiful question. And it actually caught me a little off guard because as you know, that we're going to talk about in this podcast, I have done a lot of work around our childhood and early years and those formative years, um, kind of seeing our story and seeing how it plays out and who we are today. But I will say with this particular question, the way it's worded and the way it came to me, my gut reaction was 
Ephesians 1 and 2, that before the beginning of time, before the foundations of the world, God chose to adopt me. And even though I was found dead in my sin, he gave me forgiveness and redemption and an inheritance. So I think I live most of my life. Yeah. Kind of trying to figure out who I am based on certain things and particulars in my life, but really all in all, it is that big picture. Um, so much in scripture that reminds me it's, it's, it was before I was even born and it's going to be long after I die, that there's just this identity in Christ that I'm wrapped up in. And I think each year of my life, I just get a little closer to knowing what that is to live in Christ, the, the death and resurrection. So mm, I love that answering because I love Ephesians. So <laughs> I yeah. do like that. So I was introduced to you by our friend, Amy Connell, who is amazing. And uh, she knows that I love looking at our life story. And she said, you've got to meet my friend, Emily. And um, I also was introduced to story work, which we're going to be sharing. And the Dan Allender um, is he's in Seattle. So that's where I was from before I moved to Tennessee and my pastor, and I'll give a shout out to him, Pastor Bill Roberts. He actually gave me a book on writing your story and doing story work several years ago. And he said, this is something you would love to do and really wanted me to do it. And I'm really sorry. That is still a book on my shelf on writing your story and doing story work. And so when Amy said, you've got to meet my friend, Emily, and and she does story work, I went, oh my word, I remember that book now. And I remember my pastor telling me all about it. So she shared your information and then I listened to your podcast and I thought, this is so powerful. We've got to get Emily on here and share this um, with my audience because it is something that is so impactful in understanding exactly what you said about the Ephesians that, you know, God has chosen us, that we are adopted in him and our story matters. And it's a huge part in understanding um, who we are in Christ. So I would love it if you would introduce us to that concept of story work. Sure. And I'm so glad, by the way, that you mentioned that that book is still on your shelf, because I think it's really important that like shame plays such a role in all of our lives, like what we haven't done or what we need to do. And um, I was introduced to this because a man, a very generous man in our community that knew my husband is a pastor. He offered to send us um, expenses paid to a weekend to do a story workshop. And honestly, at that time in our life, (laughs) to get a paid a weekend away from kids doing anything, I would have said yes, but not knowing it was the Dan Allender we loved from seminary and the books I've read. It just, it took me a big shove to get me into it as well. And um, the concept behind the Allender theory is that the formative years, um, especially age four to 18, when we have cognitive memory, um, really shape who we are. And it's the why and the how, if you think about it behind the Enneagram, it's kind of like the, why am I like this? Why do I respond these ways? And, and there's no right or wrong. Even if you think about just the Enneagram, there's no right or wrong number. It's we all have different coping mechanisms because we were all born into different families that we did not choose, but we learned right away how to survive, you know, like how our emotions are going to be held. Um, all of those formative years and those stories uh, really shape how we even read scripture. And so I think about, here's how I've said it before. If we know as Christians, we talk a lot about the flesh and the spirit and, you know, the choice we have. If we don't even know our particular flesh and what we're contending with, we don't really know what God's freed us from. So this is 
a really good look at our past so that we can really understand our, our present and then flourish going into the future. And God never wastes our pain. So yes, it's taking stories of harm, really looking at them and getting care because we're writing the stories or reading the stories to compassionate people. They're listening and attuning to our needs and it's a healing process, but we're also learning what we've got in this body, this flesh of ours. So that's a little bit about the Islander theory. Yeah. I love that. God never wastes our pain. Mm. It's so when you're in the thick of it, it just seems like no one really sees it. No one really understands it. We don't understand why um, we're going through it, but to know that God is there and that he can redeem it. That's, that's powerful. And not just redeem it. He actually, like, if you really do think about even the Ephesians concept, there's nothing that's a surprise to him. And that is a hard, hard concept to know we're going to experience pain and trauma, but yet that all of it is shaping us into who we are. And evil loves to work in the dark and when we bring it to light and we share it. It, loses its power. Amen. You know, we're talking about really looking into some of the trauma of our past. And, you know, right now we're kind of, you know, two years out of COVID, we've got enough going on. I mean, you turn on the news and you're like, ugh, why do I even want to look in that? And, you know, a lot of people would be like, let's, let's not even look at the past. Let's just, you know, let the past be the past. So why is it really would even want to dig up the past? And why would we want to even look back and be reminded of any of that. Yeah. Well, because I would tell everyone as passionately as I can, the way you're responding to COVID is your trauma response. It's what, it's how you have learned from an early age before you even know you have learned to cope and we all have coping mechanisms. So some people ignore it. Some people act like it's overplayed. Some people are fearful. Some people are optimistic. I mean, if you look at all the different responses to even COVID and all of the ramifications, those are trauma responses. And so, and even Dan Allender in the most recent days have said, we are in global trauma. Nothing like this has happened in our lifetime. And so in that trauma, we actually even more so need to know why am I responding this way? And why am I so angry at someone else responding the way they're responding? And one thing that story work does when you share your own story, but also you hold other people's stories, is it really deepens your empathy for how other people have to, like they, how do they have to stay alive in their childhood? And so now as we are having you know, COVID responses and there's more dissension and, and arguing than ever before, I think empathy is needed more than ever. And so if I can understand, oh, he's not leaving his home because that's a trauma response and I'm acting like nothing's happening because that's a trauma response. If I can see us all as a victim of trauma, the compassion and the empathy only build and we know each other and ourselves so much better. I like that because it's so quick to judge someone else's response based on how I'm responding. And maybe my response is a coping mechanism. And I'm like, okay, let's just get over this and let's just move on. And that's just my way of handling of trauma in the past. And I think it's a better way and their way is to stay in a house. And I'm thinking that's lame, um, but I'm not taking you know, into consideration why they're doing that. Yeah. And even if we just push pause for a moment, like as if nothing was happening in our world and we sat in a room of 
of six very diverse people. And we shared stories of harm of our childhood. And we just were told, hey, for these 45 minutes, each person gets you know, these, these minutes to, to have care and with compassion. There's no judgment, there's no right or wrong. It's just, let's just hold that story. You would leave that time realizing there were six different ways that were coping, that were, that were mechanisms of staying alive, survival. And so, yeah, I just think actually more than ever, we need to be able to look back and ask ourselves, why am I responding this way? And why does that make me so angry? And why am I judgmental of that? Because it threatens my coping mechanism. Mm. So self-protection is a big part of our upbringing, sadly. So yeah, yeah, that's that's why I think it's important even now, not necessarily for self-discovery because it's not about self, it's about empathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is good. Push pause. I like that. Pushing pause. So if you've listened for a while, if anyone's listened for a while, they know that one of the phrases that will make me stop in my tracks is if someone says, I need to find myself or I don't know who I am because I really think the enemy is behind that mindset. I think he wants us to be lost. He likes us to think that we're lost and that we're constantly looking for something on this earth to fulfill that need. And he wants us to think that we were not intentionally created, that God just created us and then left us to figure it out on our own. And that we have to, you know, go out and search and figure this out. And just by talking to you, you know, a couple of weeks ago before this podcast um, and a little bit today about story work, I've come to learn that maybe um, another way that the enemy likes us to believe that we're lost is like you mentioned just a few minutes ago is keeping things in the dark. Um, and if we're in the dark and keeping our traumas hidden and keeping everything in the dark and not putting them in the light then we're again, just staying hurt. So now we're not only lost and believing that we don't really know who we are and we don't know whose we are. Now we're also in this dark place of hurt where we feel even more lonely and even more isolated. Yeah, that's the key word. Isolation, you will hear across the board is almost the number one tactic of evil. Um, And so I think, and I love that you're like, sensitive to the idea of finding oneself because that implies that there is a a rest or a hope or a salvation in in and of itself like if i find myself i will be safe um i I would say even going way back to um john calvin's institutes or augustine when they talk about um that wisdom lies in knowing god and knowing oneself or that you cannot know God without fully knowing oneself or vice versa, that knowing or that um, exploring is actually the words to me felt like an honesty, like I'm going to look, so I'm going to actually shine light into who I am. And that means sin and harm, whether I've done it or it's been done to me, it comes into the light and the, the actual finding in oneself is not, it's actually finding that I in need much more than I thought I was in need. And so it actually puts the pressure on, is Jesus really saving me? (laughs) Is he really big enough? Because I'm seeing more of what, you know, is a little scary. But here's the beautiful thing is that Jesus is the light. And when darkness, I mean, evil loves to play in darkness because it just gets free roam. But when Jesus begins 
to light things up and we shine light in the places of our lives that we weren't willing to look under the rugs, so to speak. Jesus says, oh, I'll heal that too. Yes, I'll take that one too. Mm -hmm. I'm big enough for that one too. And then it becomes like, so like, okay, really? This is exciting. I don't have to hide because I think we're working harder in our lives. I would say by and large, we're working harder to hide the things that we don't want to deal with than we are if we just would let them come out and let Jesus heal them. But we're so afraid. Oh, but if I really looked, that's going to be so much work and it's going to take me out and evil is just going to, I'm going to be in bed for four days. I mean, that's the lie of the enemy is keep it in the dark, keep it in the dark, just keep it in the dark. And I don't agree, but here's the beautiful thing I want to end that with though. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And he never pulls up the rug and shows us everything at once or it would take us out. But mm. he gently through podcasts and books and people in our lives and little, you know, ways that the spirit moves little by little, he says, it's time to look, it's time to look. And you just barely glimpse under that rug. You see it. And he says, I got you. And so he's kind, he's never, mm. and it should never, I think that's where if anyone listening is trauma informed, you would know that you never want to go heavy and go strong. You want to be very, very gentle and kind. And that's exactly how God works. He doesn't have a flashlight. That's like overbearing. He has a little light, <laughs> but it's power. I like that. I just wrote down. He never pulls the rug out from under you. <laughs> oh yes. I said, yes. Cause then that just make that, I actually feel that in my chest. Like, as I'm thinking about the things that I've discovered or things that I've helped people discover, it is literally in our bodies. Our yeah. vagus nerve, our stomach, our gut, you know, we feel, we have implicit memory. We don't have eye clouds. We don't have external hard drives. Everything we've ever experienced is in our body. And so when we think about exposing something, it makes us have a panic attack. Yeah. So he doesn't work that way. God's too good. Yeah. And I think we think that because we're comparing it to how evil this world is and how Satan likes us to think, you know, we, we think of exposure in the way that this world would treat us. This world will laugh at us and scoff us. And so we scoff at us. And so that's what we think, but no, like you said, he just wants to put a little bit at a time and say, I like that. It's okay. Now it's time to do this one. And I've got you. It's like, but it, I think it's, uh, is it Isaiah 40, 10? He holds us mm -hmm. with his right hand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's holding us all the time. He's just right there with us holding our hand. And when we're, when it's time, he's like, okay, I got you. That's right. right here. And I I'm think that brings me to think about attunement. And that's a big word I've learned through the counseling training, just attunement is being able to see someone to know what they're feeling, to be able to like that. It's that attachment theory, like the, the mother or the father attuned to the child. And that's really what the role of the father has been our whole lives that he attunes to our needs. And he, um, in bringing things to light would never do it without knowing how do we look? How do we see, how, do, how does he see us? How do, how do we feel? You know, it's that um, when you sit across from someone, it's that mirror neurons, you nod, I nod, you smile, I smile. He's so in tune with where we are. He keeps us that way. He doesn't just do something to us. It's like that really mothering side. I love that. Um, so when we were talking earlier, one thing that I really loved the concept of was knowing that, you know, we can work on this strategy because I'm a strategy person. And so bringing this into light, 
one thing that I loved about the strategy of bringing this into the light was that when these hurts are brought into light, um, they kind of take some of the fear out of them. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, we don't want to bring these hurts out because all the fear, but knowing that bringing these hurts out, the strategy then is, okay, the hurt comes out and some of the fear goes out with it. And the best thing that you said when we were talking before the podcast was when the enemy has to work double time, when we are not afraid, Mm. I, when you said that to me, I was like, oh my word, just knowing that the enemy has to work double time when I'm not afraid. I was like, yes, I love that. So explain that concept. Mm, and I love that imagery because I can tell you're excited like I am about <laughs> being, like a, being a warrior, like like yes. Wonder Woman up on the hill, like, no, not on my watch. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I think we all have an inner warrior that wants to come out. And what I love is that the way our bodies are designed is there's no surprise to God that trauma, uh, if you know much, and I don't, I'm not going to speak like a professional Kurt Thompson, the, the Christian neurobiologist has taught me so much that I've learned, but basically our brains work, you know, from the bottom up. And it's like the base of your head, the brain is, am I safe? And then you move up a little bit. Am I loved? And then the top frontal is, can I learn? And when we have trauma, it's stuck in the, I am, am I safe? And so we're, we're afraid. We're very much like living on alert. Our fight flight is activated. We're edgy. Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And so when we have a moment where our husband says something to us or our child or some kind of interaction triggers um, a very childlike response, that is probably an indicator that we're in the, I am safe. And maybe I am, I love trauma response. Okay. So something has triggered that I have not been able to actually articulate. I have not been able to get past the fear. And so when we verbalize things that have been traumatic for us, and it can be anything from, I was snubbed in seventh grade by my best friend to, I was sexually abused in eighth grade. I mean, it can be the gamut of trauma. We're not being raised in Eden right? We're east of the garden. So we're going to all experience small T or big T trauma. Can we articulate, get words, any language we put to our trauma gets it from the, am I safe to the, am I loved to yes, I can learn. I can learn. I'm free to roam about the cabin, (laughs) right? So we are now not stuck in this fear. Um, yeah, it's, the light of Jesus and the light of exploring our story is just such a freeing. Um, and it says the, the battle language I love, like, yeah, suit me up. Let's go. Cause we wouldn't need a shield for those fiery darts. If the enemy wasn't always making us afraid. Right. I mean, there's so much warrior language. That's beautiful. When we're not afraid, we get to be on the offense. Ooh, there's some more language I like. <laughs> yeah, if you're offense. a gamer, you're like, yeah, get yourself on offense as soon as possible. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so as a writer, I love the power of words because um, I love the spoken words, but putting words on a page is very helpful. It gets them out of my head. I can look at them. It does two things for me. It either gives them credit. I'm like, yep. Okay. That makes sense. Or it discredits them. And a lot of times um, when I 
have a concept and I put it down. I'm like, no, that didn't work for me. I don't like that. And one of the things that um, in some of my work in Washington, when I did some youth ministries was some of the kids that would come to me with anxieties is really put them, get them out of your head and write them down. And are those really as bad and big once they're on the paper as they were when they were in your head. And so why is it so important to put words to our trauma and give them a name? Yeah, well, that's a really wise thing you would have them do. Cause even a, a study that came out of a university where they, they took college students and they had some, it's like a study they did. And it's basically just, they would have them write on things that were going wrong and then wrinkle it up and throw it in the trash. can. it wasn't even for anything, but just writing it was a healing process. But I would say in terms of writing stories and and the particular work I do is that you actually would write a story like 600 to 800 word story of harm or trauma or um, something bad that happened in your childhood. And a lot of people would say, well, I don't remember. I don't remember. And the actual writing process activates memory. And there's been several tests done on that as well, that when you're actually writing and you're trying to land the plane on a certain day that you walked home from school. And when you got there, A, B, and C happened. Like, what was the weather? What were you wearing? Who was your friend? I mean, like if you can really get back, if your body remembers it implicitly. And so if you can write down, it actually activates more memory. And what we're trying to do is put words to our trauma. And so if you can activate more memory and put more words as to how you felt or what you experienced, it loses its power because it's living in your body having, I mean, it's like, it's having such an effect on how we're responding and interacting and it's gripping us oftentimes. And it's really creating the unhealthy or the shadow sides of us. So when we get to write those stories and engage them, it's like, oh yeah, I do remember I just had this happen, by the way, Sherry, I'm having to, I'm finishing a program at the Allender Center. It's my very last weekend. And I was writing something about my childhood and I never had put it together <laughs> as to when in my life I started hand making clothing items and accessories and um, household goods. My mom had created a new bedroom, like teenage bedroom for myself. And we go over to her friend's house and her daughter, they had done the exact same one. Like they copied it. Like they found out where we bought it all. And, and I felt so like, what? That's the exact same. And I, I never put it together that that's when I started hand making things. And I realized as an adult, oh, I didn't want people to copy me. I wanted to be unique. And so that was my way. But it's just little things like that. When we can begin to put little pieces together, it's so enlightening. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the writing process. Yeah. I like that. And I like that, you know, it will activate memories, mm-hmm. which is it, powerful. It's the scary part because some people yeah. don't remember. So um, again, do you want to activate memory? No, I'd rather not. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, it's living in your body implicitly and implicit explicit memory is kind of those big words. But basically if you can't, you know how we can, you smell something you're like, Oh, I remember well, that's because it finally got to the brain, but it's, mm-hmm. it's in your body. So I can hear someone say something, or I can smell something, or I can walk into an old musty room and my gut, my stomach, my vagus nerve responds in a certain way that I'm like, Whoa, what is that? Mm-hmm. So writing activates it into the cognitive memory so that we can actually say, Oh, I don't just have panic attacks 
um, it's because this person, you know, like, it's like so much falls into place. Yeah. I have not gone and done work at the Allender Center, but I have done uh, work in a group setting that we kind of like you've talked about where I've had to uh, do some digging into my story in a group setting. And it's very scary at first. And at first I did not want to do it. Um, it was, you know, kind of like, oh, I don't know. Um, but once I started and once I did it, it was so freeing. And uh, I went into the weekend thinking, okay, you know, I, I don't know about this and I don't want to do it. But once I got there and other people started sharing, um, it was just so freeing, not only for me to share, but also to hear their stories as well. And I know that's kind of similar to what they do at the Ellender Center. And so why is that such an important part of the process? Yeah. And it's funny because I love one-on-one counseling or group. And some people are more afraid of signing up for a one-on-one, like as if that really means they've got big problems, you know, but like sometimes they're like, oh, I would do a group versus some people are terrified of doing the group setting. And I will just say specifically about group work. What is so beautiful about it is that our brains actually were made to be with other brains. God designed us to be in community. And so, um, and Kurt Thompson has done so much work around this with his confessional communities that when you share anything that's vulnerable and it's shared to a person that will hear the, what you would call ugly or scary or shameful story and they don't leave the room and they're actually looking at you and they're attuning to you and, and asking you questions and and showing kindness and not giving advice and not telling you to get over it, but they're actually just sitting with you. And you look around this little small group of people and you realize everyone's carrying a story. And, and then you get to share that same feeling of listening to them and attuning to them. It really has such power. Um, because yeah, I talked about earlier the empathy, because when you hold someone else's story, you for a moment are kind of like a counselor and it feels good to give care. We're meant to give and receive care. And so I think that's one of the powerful elements that I can provide by giving a group setting, but I can't do one-on-one. One-on-one is, is great, but it doesn't give them the opportunity to give and receive care. Cause in a counseling situation now with my friends having coffee, absolutely. It's back and forth. But if you're really thinking, I want to explore my story. Yeah. You can do that with a counselor one-on-one, but to get to do it with five or six other people who are all there to do the same work. And it's really contained. No one's going to go off on a tangent. It's very contained to here's my story. And it's curiosity and kindness that really just are missing in our world. Good questions. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not judging you. And you see it. And I, I remember, you know, even in a situation where I was curious about something in my childhood. And, and I said, do you all think this is true based on what I've told you in the story? And, and I looked around the room and five, six, seven people are nodding. Yes. They think it's true. It's like the affirmation of, okay, so I'm not crazy. I've always thought this, but I felt bad to say it, but you're saying it's true okay, we all want to tie bows on that. That's hard. Okay. Yeah. So that was harmful. Now what? But the healing actually comes from, ah, you're not going to try to fix me. Are you, I'm just going to sit here and you all care for me and you love me. And that actually is the healing part. 
And that's the healing process and doing it in group is so powerful. Emily, um, as we close our time together, I would, I would love it if the listener wants to get in touch with you so that they could do some of their own story work and find ways of healing. If they have some trauma or some ways that they just want to get in touch with you, what are some ways that they could do that? Yeah. And I would say if this is brand new for one of your listeners, and it's like, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds interesting. I point people a lot of times to Adam Young. He has a podcast called the place we find ourselves. And if people will just listen to the first two episodes, he introduces the idea of why we even look at a story and the characters and the plot and why we even should look back. And if those two episodes spark something and the person says, okay, yes, I'm in, then there are a lot of resources he gives. Um, obviously the Allender Center is where I'm being trained. The NFTC, it's called Narrative Focused Trauma Care. Um, it's a pretty intensive program, but obviously I am going into this full time. My husband and I love it so much. We see it as um, not just a tool in our belt to help the gospel go deeper into hearts, but like an entire new tool belt. <laughs> like we have used this for the past five years now in our ministry and just feel like it is the key to getting the gospel deep, deep into our bodies and our souls and our minds and our stories and our relationships. Um, and so we're the bakers. So it's bakercounselinggroup.com and they could explore our website to see if it's individual counseling or groups that we're putting together, we are constantly putting groups together of, I prefer six participants and then I'm the facilitator. Um, and those have been powerful, but if someone wants to just explore um, kind of on their own and, and read stories or just, Hey, I've got right now issues right now, we can definitely work with them and still tie it into, but what's your story? But we don't have to go, well, I'm not going to listen to you. Just write a story from age five. <laughs> That's not how we work, but we do believe that we want to be story informed. Just like people are trauma informed, same thing. We don't want to start at chapter 13 and try to think, okay, what can we do? We need the whole picture. So yeah. Thank you so much. This has been so informative and so much fun talking with you. And of course, all the links uh, to get in touch with you will be in the show notes. So thank you so much for taking your time and speaking with us today. Uh, thank you, Sherry, for even having me on your podcast. I feel so honored. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my time with Emily Baker. I just love the concept that Jesus is not going to pull the rug out from under us, that he's going to just lift little bits of that rug and say, oh, I'm willing to heal that too. It was just such a blessing talking with her. All links that Emily mentioned will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I don't want you to miss out on anything. So when you sign up for my email, you will get details on how to start your own spiritual game plan, the latest news on the Bible study I'm working on, and also a glimpse behind the scenes of things that don't make it onto this podcast. So head on over to sherryfletcher.com and click join Sherry at the top of the screen. And I look forward to connecting with you there.